Gracious Father, what a special gift it is to have this quiet time together in your presence to contemplate some of the beautiful gifts that you offer each one of us in order to actually enable us to cooperate with your special work for our hearts in preparation for Jesus' soon return. We ask for your Holy Spirit to do what only he can do for each one of us, including me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanted to start with uh, just a couple of statements focusing in on the absolute importance of God's word in the work of actually the cooperation that we actually um, have to do with cooperating with Christ to find healing and restoration. You see in this, the statement there from Review and Herald, the science of overcoming as Christ overcame is the science of salvation. If we will unite with Christ in the work of developing Christian character, if we will maintain unwavering faith in God and in the truths of his word, we shall be given strength to overcome every evil thing in the life. Praise God. But notice it's all centered around maintaining an unwavering faith in God and in the truths of his word. Now, I look at that statement and I have to conclude that every evil thing includes those negative, hopeless, helpless feelings that we struggle with. Um, whether it's anxiety or depression or fear or uh, unhealthy anger, this covers it. You've seen this before. Scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's uh, doctrine, what God is like, the way he sees things. For reproof, tells me what's wrong. For correction, tells me what's right. And instruction in righteousness, it actually tells me how to get right and stay right with God. Amen? that the man of God might be thoroughly perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I love that. Here we go. Psalms 107.20, one of my favorite texts in the Bible, simply because it gives me hope. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Notice what he sent to provide healing for his people. You see it there? He sent his word. This is vital. Education, page 81. Watch this close. Christ's teaching like his sympathies embrace the world. Never can there be a circumstance of life, a crisis in human experience, which has not been anticipated in his teaching and for which its principles have not a lesson. This is so good. Prince, the prince of teachers... His words will be found a guide to his co-workers till the end of time. Let me ask you a question. Who are his co-workers? Amen? All of us? Absolutely. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, we are ministers of reconciliation, and the tool he's given us is his word. Signs of the Times, October 3rd, 1900. The word of God should be 
our counselor in all difficulties, our guide in all the relations of life. I like that, don't you? Just to solidify in our minds how valuable and important it is when we start dealing with the problems of life and particularly the emotions and the anxieties and the fears and the feelings that are attached to know that the Word of God should be our counselor. Regardless of age, health conditions, circumstances. Here we go now. We're going to move into looking at what I believe is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Not only faith, but also repentance. There's two absolutely necessary ingredients for anyone to experience eternal three-dimensional healing and a hope-filled life through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There they are. The Apostle Paul testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now guess what Jesus preached? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. And of course here, if you looked at the Greek, your strongest concordance, the word faith and belief come from the same Greek word. Repentance and faith, vital. There's no true salvation without these. Notice this statement from Inspiration, Conflict and Courage, page 41. Thus the plan of redemption is laid open to us so that every soul may see the steps he is to take in what, everyone? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved in God's appointed way. Faith and what? Repentance. Um, re repentance has not been given a lot of attention these, these last few years. And yet it is one of the most vital ingredients to a saved healing experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's vital to recognize that these two precious gifts from God actually determine also, watch close, the extent and quality of healing and health that a person experiences in his physical, mental, and spiritual life. In your everyday walk of life, no matter what you do, where you go, those two gifts, faith and repentance, are, are primary factors. I'm going to spend just a few moments on faith before we go back to repentance, and we'll be spending the rest of the time there. Ephesians 2.8, a lot of people have this memorized, but notice it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. I'm grateful for the gift, aren't you? Watch this statement from education, 253. Faith is trusting God, believing that he loves us and knows best what is for our good. Thus, instead of our own, it leads us to choose his way. In place of our ignorance, it accepts his wisdom. In place of our weakness, his strength. In place of our sinfulness, his righteousness. Awesome, huh? Faith is trusting God. I so appreciated Elder Finley bringing that out as he was sharing. 
Faith is what verifies the reality. This is just as unique and special, special gift from God. No one can produce it. It's a gift from him. But what it does, it enables, it verifies the reality of what God has promised us in his word. This is where Hebrews 11.1 1 comes into the picture. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is what verifies the reality of what God has promised us in his word. Extremely valuable. Watch this, Review and Herald, 1883. Wow, genuine faith, saving faith is what? Inseparable from repentance and conversion and will manifest the fruits of the spirit. It is a continual conscience, conscious trust in Jesus. The sinner's only hope is in the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. And what connects him to that risen and crucified, crucified and risen Savior is saving faith and repentance and conversion. Now, there's something that um, sometimes I wonder if we recognize. Uh, uh, I haven't caught this all my life, but I'm beginning to realize that there's a catch to this that is very important to examine and recognize in our own personal experience. How many human beings have faith according to that? Everyone. Even atheists, if atheists didn't have a measure of faith, they would be unable to actually accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. God has given us a measure of faith so that we're actually able to put our trust in a loving Savior and Lord. But watch this close. Here's what we often forget. Patriarchs and Prophets 431. Faith is the gift of God. But the power to exercise it is whose? Amazing. Here's what happens. Everyone's got the gift of faith, but notice where we put faith sometimes. Chariots, I suppose that would be automobiles in our day. Wealth and riches, people put their faith in their own heart. We put our faith in our own ways. I'm going to do it my way. That kind of dates me. Faith in other men, vanity. People choose to put that gift, that incredible measure of faith, that gift of faith in other things besides God. True or false? But I love this. When someone chooses to actually exercise that gift of faith and put their trust in a loving Savior, through faith in Christ, every deficiency of character may be supplied, every defilement cleansed, every fault corrected, every excellence developed. See, what does that, is there anything there that that doesn't cover? But there's another reality about faith that causes many sincere Christians to struggle in their experience with the Lord. We've seen it, uh, Patsy and I, in our work over the years. 
Here's the reality. We actually have to learn to keep our faith in God. It's a learning experience. It's necessary to learn to believe, to learn to trust in him instead of someone or something else. Review and Herald. But in God, there is strength to overcome all temptations. Praise God. When you are tempted, let your heart go out to God in prayer for strength to resist the enemy. Learn to believe in Jesus in the circumstance that you are facing in life. Learn to believe in Jesus and take him at his what? His word. Another one, Signs of the Times, 1895. I must trust in Jesus irrespective of the changes of my emotional atmosphere. I must not trust him now and then, but always. We must, what everyone? We must learn to believe the promises. Notice how the word of God is intimately connected here with this learning experience of putting our faith in Christ. We must learn to believe the promises to have an abiding faith so that we may take them as the sure word of God. Please, please humor me. Uh, have mercy on me, but you know, this is probably more for me than it is for you. The powers of darkness gather about the soul and shut Jesus from our sight. And at times we can only wait in sorrow and amazement until the cloud passes over. These seasons are sometimes terrible. Anybody agree with me? Hope seems to fail, despair seizes upon us. In these dreadful hours, we must learn to trust, to depend solely upon the merits of the atonement and in our, all our helpless unworthiness, cast ourselves upon the merits of the crucified and risen Savior. And I love the last sentence. I hope you love it too. We shall never perish while we do this. Never. But understand, we've got to learn it. Are you following? And you don't learn it in the sunshine. You learn it under clouds. Christ Object Lessons. At the very outset of the Christian life, I had to bring this in here because, you know, what are we teaching our, our precious friends that have just newly been baptized? Look at this. This is so beautiful. Man, at the very outset, I wish someone could have told me this when I was, I was living in Hollywood at the time, just converted to Christ, just in love with him, and just a mess. At the very outset of the Christian life, every believer should be taught its foundational principles. He should be taught that he is not merely to be saved by Christ's sacrifice, but that he is to make the life of Christ his life, the character of Christ his. You can read it. Excuse the tears. This is me. What you see is what you get.
Well, from here on out, we're going to focus in on repentance. Probably one of the most neglected and yet one of the most powerful healing gifts that God has offered us through Christ and his righteousness. This amazingly wonderful gift needs to be more clearly understood and given more credibility and functionality. In other words, more usability in our cooperation with the Holy Spirit's work to bring us healing in all three dimensions of our sin-damaged lives. Not just one, all three. And of course, Jesus is our example of the repentance that I believe he wants all of his sincere followers to experience. Not because he ever sinned, but because he is our example in all things pertaining to life and godliness. Would you all agree? Amen. We're going to be hitting on this a lot more, but I want us now to really understand a little bit more about the beautiful gift of repentance that God has given. Jesus, our example, 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Another one, 1 John 2.6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to so to walk even as he walked. Ministry of Healing, 426, as Jesus was in human nature, so God means his followers to be. In his strength, we are to live the life of purity and nobility which the Savior lived. I love that, don't you? The awesome horizons of hope and joy we have as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, endless I'm just going to plan something here. I'm going to address it a little later, but someone says, well, how can Jesus repent when he never sinned? Well, we're going to be thinking outside the box here a little later on, a little farther now, but we're focusing in on repentance. Testimonies, volume 9. The life that Christ lived in this world, men and women can live through his power and under his instruction. In their conflict with Satan, they may have all the help that he had. Praise God. They may be more than conquerors through him who loved them and gave himself for them. In other words, is it possible, according to inspiration, for someone to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Amen. It is. And I'll tell you what, as you learn to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, guess what happens to your, to your emotional life? You'll see the statements here shortly. Here it is, the gift that Jesus gave us. You know, I've discovered in my, uh, in my visits with people, Patsy and I have been working at the, before uh, coming out of pastoral ministry and then stepping into ministry at a health center. We've been working now for people, with people for a long time. And uh, all kinds of experiences and backgrounds, it's been a gift to us. I think we've learned more than anyone else has. But we've discovered that there, there are not a lot of people who really understand this gift that, that Christ has made possible for us. It's incredible. Repentance. Jesus hath God exalted in his right hand to be a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. I'm grateful he's given forgiveness of sins, but you know what? I'm just as grateful that he's given me the gift of repentance. 
Greek root for repentance, you can look this up, Strong's Concordance. Just wanted to give you a little background here as far as understanding what repentance, the Greek, what it means. To think differently, or afterwards, that is reconsider, morally feel compunction, repent, Strong's Concordance. Here's Thayer's Greek Dictionary, another definition, but same lines, a change of mind as it appears to one who repents. In other words, that person's repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of a purpose that he's formed or of something he has done. I used to, before I became a Christian, I had a bad mouth. Um, when I repented, I had no more desire whatsoever to use a word that would dishonor my Lord. Watch close now. Repentance is a gift that enables us to make godly changes in our responses to things that trouble us. To experience a change of heart, a change in our thinking, of course, produced by the Holy Spirit as we consent and cooperate with his, his work. But listen close. True repentance is a change in the way I'm thinking about the circumstances that troubled me, the things that bothered me, the things that worry me, the things that bug me about some other person. It's a what? A change of what? It's a change in my thinking. I love this statement from Steps to Christ. Very simple, profound, but very important. Repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. We shall not renounce sin unless we see its sinfulness until we turn away from it in heart there would be no real change in the life. I know before I became a Christian, um, I could be a real nice guy. I was a bass player and a lead singer for a fairly well-known rock group in the Midwest, and uh, you name it, we did it. And it was amazing how nice I can act outwardly when there was something I wanted to get for myself. Outward behavior changed wonderfully, but guess what didn't change? The way I was thinking. Everybody got it? So this brings another reality to light. With this gift of Christ called repentance, the heart change that brings true freedom from guilt also opens the doors to freedom from the other unhealthy feelings that sin has wrought. <clears throat> See, guilty. Oh, Dan. What I've done, it's, I just feel rotten. And there's nothing I can do to change. God could never accept me like this. 
and just heavy with feelings of sorrow and sadness and disgust, but still trapped. And repentance, the heart change that brings true repentance, frees a person and leads that person to recognize, regardless of the mistakes they've made in the past, regardless of how corrupt and rotten their life was beforehand, no matter how many mistakes they've made in their response to other people, no matter how much damage they've caused, repentance actually is a gift that gives me the freedom, gives someone else the freedom to actually change my whole view of <laughs> the experience I went through. Now, I want to make this clear. True repentance does not get me to thinking, oh, I'm a rotten, terrible, rotten person. It's just the worst thing to ever happen to me, and I'll never make it, and et cetera, et cetera. True repentance lifts me out of the, out of the dungeon into the light, the freedom that Christ has offered us. Notice where these feelings begin, though. I want to actually go to God's Word just for a minute. And uh, some of you I know don't have a Bible along with, so I, I, I put it up on the screen. Just, um, you'll see this all over the Bible. This is very, very important. In 2 Kings 5, when the leprous Naaman knocked on the prophet Israel's door, expecting Elisha to personally appear to heal him. Remember the little servant girl from Israel that um, told Naaman that he could be healed from his leprosy and he, he got his group together and all of his stuff and went to the prophet's door expecting Elisha to personally appear to heal him. And instead, of course, Elisha's servant appeared with instructions to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and he'd be healed. But watch now, notice Naaman's emotional reaction to this experience. But Naaman was wroth, extremely angry, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will, he will surely come out to me. Elisha will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana, Farfa, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But notice what was causing the rage. Anybody see it? What was causing the rage? I thought. It was his thoughts. You see, to have Elisha come and call on the name of the Lord and, and do his special thing, that's something he couldn't get back home. But to just dip in some water, that's something he could have gotten with all this expense and travel and everything else. It was his thoughts. New Testament now. You'll see this all over the Bible. Uh, you know, I'm just making you aware of the fact because uh, science is really validating this now. See if you can catch the thoughts in, that were producing the feelings the disciples experienced in the storm. Remember when they were taking Jesus across the lake and he was sleeping in the back of the boat, just tuckered out, and the storm came up? Wow, watch this. When 
he, Jesus, was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Still haven't figured out how he did that. And his disciples came to him and, and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said to them, why, why are you so fearful? O ye of little faith. And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Anybody see it? What were the disciples experiencing? What was the emotion they were experiencing? Fear. And why was it? What were they thinking? We perish. Lord, save us. We perish. I'm about to perish. And they were in a situation. They had put their faith for years in their abilities to deal with storms with their sailors' abilities, right? And now they're in a storm that is over and above their ability to handle it. Their resources were not working. By the way, do you know when people actually come to you for help? The Tsar of Ages, page 300. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, he yields himself to the control of God. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. Isn't that something? Not until um, I had an alcohol problem. I, I just openly admit it. Uh, you name it, drugs, alcohol. But alcohol was my monkey. But it was not. It was not until I had, you've heard the term, reached the bottom of my barrel, where all my resources were not getting me the peace and the freedom from the missing ingredient in my heart that I finally said, you know what, God, if you're really real, I talked to the ceiling and I said, if you're really real and you got a better plan for my life, I'm ready to listen. And he took me to the Gospels. Testimonies, Volume 5. Can we verify the fact that feelings are produced by our thoughts from the spirit of prophecy? If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong, and the thoughts and feelings combined make up or develop the moral character. Notice the validation we find in secular research. A famous book, this statement's been used by many, many people, but it's valid. The research is all focusing on this reality. Your feelings are created by your what, everyone? Your thoughts and not the actual events. All experiences must be processed through your brain and given a conscious meaning before you experience any emotional response. I've often wondered, um, those disciples, when they were all worried and Jesus is back in the boat sleeping, I've, I've, I've often wondered if they would have gone back and just laid down with him and just looked at him and said, Lord, I uh, just wanted to mention to you, if you had a moment, that uh, uh, it's getting a little, your robes are getting wet and the boat's filling with water. I was just wondering if you had a solution. Um, but quite often what happens is we get into circumstances that are where we're below waterline. Are you following? And of course we start reaching out. All right. 
If I really want a healing solution, um, uh, healing freedom from the negative feelings that I'm experiencing, anybody tell me what's absolutely necessary for me to address? The way I think. The way I think. Everybody got that? Now, there may be some kind of physical condition, something else, you know, that is making you feel bad. You know, if you got the flu or something, you're... Um, that sort of thing. However, for the majority of things where we are worried, concerned, et cetera, et cetera, it's what I'm thinking about the situation that I'm facing that causes the problem. So this is vital. I've got, if I want healing, a healing change that's actually a Christ-like healing change, I've got to change the way I view the things that I'm facing. Um, we call this heart change, this change in thinking, the Bible calls it um, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Some of you probably have 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 um, memorized. There's a lot of meat in that. But um, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, that's where it happens. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I must be willing to actually begin seeing things the way Jesus sees things. I must begin be willing to actually begin seeing myself the way Jesus sees me. Not as other people see me, not as I see me, but as he sees me. What a healing peace that Jesus offers us to actually practice thinking his thoughts concerning the challenges of life we daily face. So once again, here it is again. The benefit of choosing to practice bringing your thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ, here it is. I love this statement, 5 Testimonies 5.14. By steadfastly keeping the will on the Lord's side, every emotion will be brought into captivity to the will of Jesus. By the way, who is it that decides what I think? Sure. Whose choice is it? Isn't that neat to know that every emotion can be brought into captivity to the will of Jesus? I say, praise God. Amen. This is so awesome particularly when you're working with hurting individuals to recognize that there is freedom, that Jesus can free them. And you. Amen? The impact thoughts have upon a person's life. I, I just want to nail this down, just a little scientific research. I, you know, I'm really into the Bible, just, but I, I love to just share a little research also. You've, some of you probably read the book Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by Dr. Daniel Amen, but here's what they're discovering. Every time you have an angry thought, an unkind thought, a sad thought, or a cranky thought, your brain releases chemicals that make your body feel bad. I love the alternative. Every time you have a good thought, a happy thought, a hopeful thought, or a kind thought, your brain releases chemicals that make your body feel good. Amen? I'm kind of thinking that God had that in mind when he inspired Paul to write Philippians 4.8. What do you say? 
Finally, therefore, brethren, whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy, do what? By the way, in the Greek, I've got to share this. You know, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have done my share of study of Greek through Griggs University of all places. In the Greek, the verb there, think on these things, is in the present tense. In the Greek, present tense means not only something contemporaneous, something happening just now, it means a continuous action. So what does godly healing look like through, through faith? What does it look like? Well, I'm going to run through this very rapidly because there's a couple of other things we want to hit on before this is over. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the experience of the Corinthian church allowing one of its members to be in an ungodly relationship with his father's wife. Um, the church took the Lord's counsel through Paul to heart and they earnestly repented and dealt with their precious brother in God's ways, praise the Lord. Here's um, a little picture of what Paul wrote to them after they had um, followed through with his counsel. Watch close, this is very important because there's a concept about repentance here that has thrown a lot of people off. Now I rejoice, Paul says, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to, to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Notice I have those highlighted. This is very, very important. Notice that both godly Sorrow and worldly sorrow have what attached to them? Sorrow. You might see something else, but the point is there is sorrow connected to both of them. That word sorrow in the Greek, sadness, heaviness, and pain. Sadness, heaviness, and pain, both with false repentance and true repentance. What's the point, Dan? Why would I be sharing this? What's so important about this? Well, they both have emotions connected to them. One produces repentance to salvation, the other produces death. What does this teach us? Even though there may be emotions involved in both godly and worldly sorrow, listen close, emotions cannot be trusted as solid evidence that someone has repented. Did you get that? This is vital. The closer we get to Christ's return, the more vital this is. Luke 21, 26 says, people's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things which are coming upon the world. The closer we get to Christ's return, the more emotional responses you are going to see from people who are struggling. But just because someone says, oh, I'm so sorry. I used to say that too. I'm so sorry I got caught. I had emotions, but there was no change of heart. 
Notice what testimonies to ministers and workers says. Repentance is not a desirable emotion. There may be emotions attached, there may not, but don't use that as the criterion to prove that someone is truly sorry. So then what's the proof that a person's experience is truly experiencing repentance? By the way, before we go to this, can anybody tell me then what would be the proof that someone is truly experiencing true godly repentance? Absolutely, what they're thinking. Watch this close. For behold this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Where does carefulness start? What part of my anatomy? What clearing of yourselves? Where does it start? What indignation? Where does indignation? What part of my anatomy? What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge in all things you've approved yourself to be clear in this matter. A change in thinking. And I should say a godly change. Good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. So I... I hope that I've hit on this enough <laughs> for all of us just to recognize again. True godly repentance always includes a change in a person's thinking about the sin that's been committed. Always. There it is again. You've seen it before. Sorrow for sin and turning away from it. We shall not renounce sin unless we see its sinfulness until we turn away from it in heart. There will be no real change in the life. Very, very important. Am I going too fast? So remember this fact. Godly repentance begins with a change in my thinking to agree with God's solution to my struggles and troubles not just a tearful emotion. And not this poor me, oh, I'm such a rotten person, I'll never get it, I'm just the worst person in the world, nobody likes me, nobody can accept me. That is not godly repentance. That is focused on I, me, myself, and I. And I've caught myself in this trap. Oh, poor me, what are they gonna think of me now? I, I said it wrong, I did it wrong. True godly repentance says, you know what, Lord? I am so grateful that you love me with an everlasting love, and it's a delight to know that I don't have to fear. You tell me in Isaiah 41.10, fear thou not, for I am with thee, that you're with me. I don't have to be afraid. You're my God. I don't have to be dismayed. Amen? Amen. And I want to hit on this. Been playing with it a little bit. Here it is, 1 John 3.20. Can anybody quote it? If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth how many things. If those thoughts are truly God's thoughts, the thoughts that a repentant person is experiencing, they will not condemn me as a person. They will not condemn me as a person. I will see myself yeah, I made a mistake. But I'll also recognize the value that I have in God's sight. 
Uh, all right. Well, some of you probably understood everything I've shared with you thus far. I wanted to give you a foundation. Now I want to take you back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus' words here. And give you a little insight into repentance that has, that has is, a, is a, an escape. It's a healing factor that so many people have been trapped, not understanding. Here it is, Jesus speaking. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now here's the good news. And this is something probably you've never heard before. Maybe you have. But in analyzing both those Greek verbs, or parsing them as they call it, repent and believe, we discover that both of them are in the present tense imperative mood. It's a command to continue to repent, continue to believe. This is so awesome. I say unto you, it's the same way. If you looked up the word repent and, and you were parsing those verbs, you discover that in the New Testament, the verbs are in the present tense, present participles. And the only place where it is just present tense, where it's just happening just now and nowhere else, is when it's in the indicative mood. Anywhere else, present tense is a continuous process. This is so vital. This is a continuous process. Repentance is. Wow. Continuous, repeated action, not a contemporaneous something is happening just now. This means, like belief, like faith or trust, repentance for sin is an ongoing process, not just a one-time event. Are you getting this? Listen close. It is an ongoing process, not a one-time event. How many times have you caught someone, heard someone say, oh, I made a mistake, I blew it, and I asked God to forgive me, and two days later I went and did it again. Ever heard it? Ever experienced it? Bible commentaries. Volume 6, repentance for sin is the first fruits of the working of the Holy Spirit in the life. It is the only what, everyone? It is the only process by which infinite purity reflects the image of Christ in his redeemed subjects. Another statement from the Spirit of Prophecy, Bible Commentary, Volume 7, the life we live is to be one of continual repentance and humility. We need to repent constantly that we may be constantly victorious. The enemy can never can take out of the hand of Christ the one who is simply trusting in his promises. Notice, dear ones, that when I'm continually repenting, I'm constantly victorious. How come? What am I doing according to the statement? I am constantly trusting in his promises, in my thoughts, I'm not thinking about the problem in my thoughts. I am focused on the solution. Off the problem, onto the solution. Off the problem, onto the solution. Yes or, yes or no? Another one from my life today, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ are the fruits of the renewing power of the grace of the Spirit. Repentance represents 
the process by which the soul seeks to reflect the image of Christ to the world. Anybody tell me why continual repentance is such an important concept in God's plan to save and heal us? Anybody tell me? It certainly does, doesn't it? For how long? Anybody else? I would agree. Right on. Any others? Go ahead. Did you get that? It's the birthplace of humility and faith. and faith. Amen. Anybody else? All right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I know what it's like when, when, when the speaker asks a question, you're sitting there and you kind of think you got an answer, but you're so afraid if you share, he's going to say, oh, dead wrong, sorry. And you're like, mm. Isn't that true? That's happened to me. So I, I just commend the two of you. Thank you very, very much. Look at this. Matthew 121, the definition for salvation. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us not only from sin's guilt and penalty, but also to deliver us from sin's power to rule our lives. Wow. But in order to do that, he must have our faith-filled cooperation. He just doesn't remove something from me that we're going to talk about in a moment. In what way? What do we all have in our lives that can give sin power to hold us in bondage even after we've accepted Jesus as our Savior and Lord? Anybody know? Starts with an H. The answer. There it is. What most people haven't been taught, and I wasn't taught this either, I, I'm, I'm thankful that I've learned it. When I accepted Christ, and I'll give you an example out of my own life, accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord, and I was so excited that this wonderful Savior had, had forgiven for me for all my past, and you gotta, I was living in Hollywood. I look different than I do now. And I started going to churches. It didn't make any difference what kind of church it was as long as it had the name Jesus somewhere. And I go into that church, and I just sit in the pew, and I just weep uncontrollably because I was in the presence of God. I believe that. And I knew that he had forgiven me, that I was free. And I just go, I just boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I was just weeping uncontrollably. And someone would come up and start patting me, you know, and try to comfort me. And, of course, it was a little caution they did that. And they'd say, is everything okay, everything? And, and I'd start telling them in tears. I'd start telling them about, about my love for the Savior who had forgiven me. And I was using language that I'd learned in the bar. And there were explicitives coming out of my mouth that should have never been heard in any church. And I know I embarrassed a lot of people. I was so grateful. Did, did God hold that against me at that time? Not at all. But what happened is this. One day I was reading in the book of James chapter 2 and I came across this statement that says that uh, cursing and blessing ought not to come out of the same aperture. And at that point in my experience, I realized I was convicted. And at that point, I just, dear God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I, I didn't even know I was doing this. Did he forgive me? He did. Now let me ask you a question. From that point on, did I quit swearing? 
Let me ask that again. From that point on, did I have any desire to swear anymore? I had none. The idea of swearing just hurt me to the core. Did I still do it once in a while? I did, but I had no desire to. But I'd get tricked or surprised or all of a sudden something would take me and out of my mouth. I carried into my Christian experience, my born-again new heart experience, old habits of responding, old habits of thinking. God didn't take all of those away from me when I became a Christian. It, be, it was a process. That's the reason why repentance is a process and not an instantaneous one-time event. Romans 7:19, just a little Greek again. In verse 19, there's a couple spots in Romans 7. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now what's so interesting is this. The phrase that I do, that you see in bold up there, is translated from the Greek verb prosso, which means I practice habitually. And it's my habits. That's what the Apostle Paul was struggling with. He was struggling with old habits in his new born-again experience, old habits that trapped him. It's the same with us. Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 2, 540. Every man has corrupt and sinful habits that must be overcome by vigorous warfare. What do you say? Is it worth it? It's worth it. Let me ask you another question. When you first went to school, did you learn how to read and write in one week? Did you learn it in a month? Nope. You had to develop habits. Now let me ask you a question. How long does it take to replace an old unhealthy habit of thinking and responding to something that bothers you? How long does it take to, when, you, when you've thought about that, that, that same way for many, many years and you have formed a strong habit, how long does it take to replace it? Anybody venture a guess? Um, I won't put a time frame on it. <laughs> and I know that you, you hear science and stuff saying, you know, a certain number of days and you know you've got a new habit. Listen, because of our different upbringings, our different backgrounds, our different life experiences, the different habit patterns that we've formed, every, for every person I think it's different. Are you following? So don't, don't tell someone, oh, it's only going to take 23 days, because what if you're wrong? And they hit the 23rd day and they're going, I'm still struggling. What's going on? Rather, rather you just tell them, listen, if you continue in my word, John 8, 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, if you continue practicing the mindset of Christ, practicing thinking what he says about you and about that situation. Over and over again, what's happening? What are you forming in your nervous system? Sure. Yeah, I mean, everybody's talking about it now, praise God, because it's so vital in righteousness by faith. Everybody's talking about it. 
That is why repentance is an ongoing process and not just a repent once and I'll never do it again experience that God sometimes grants us with our sins. Um, he took alcohol away from me. The minute I accepted Christ, I tell you what, I lost the desire. It was gone. However, the filthy mouth and other sundry things that I won't mention. By the way, do you know who's in the process of sanctification yet? The process of putting off the old and putting on the new? Anybody guess? Who's in the process? What about me? Please, me too? Amen. Testimonies, Volume 4. This is good news. Bad habits, when opposed, will offer the most vigorous resistance, but if the warfare is kept up with energy and perseverance, they may be what, everyone? They may be conquered. And I'll tell you what, when you've conquered one of those, when you're putting off the old and putting on the new, putting off the old, putting on the new, and you practice, 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 that bad habit, when it's conquered, in other words, when it's replaced with a new habit, guess what? If it's a Christ-like habit, it never needs replacing. Guess where you carry it. You carry it with you into eternity. Amen? By the way, I've got to mention this. I want to get onto some hotter stuff here. But do you know why lifestyle is so important, three-dimensional lifestyle? Particularly for someone who's in a wheelchair and they're crippled and they can't do anything except, or someone who's in perfect health and can do everything except, do you know why lifestyle, three-dimensional lifestyle is so vital now? Because the habits that you and I are forming now in the care of our body and mind, those are the habits we're going to take with us into eternity. And so what we're doing is we're practicing on this body that is slowly aging. We are actually practicing and developing the habits of the care of the new body that we're going to get when Jesus comes. I hope that makes sense. Someone say amen. Is it? Makes sense? Okay, amen. Okay, here's what overcoming sinful habits looks like. I want you to see this. My life today, I love this statement. This is so awesome. The child of God will not rest satisfied until he is clothed with the righteousness of Christ and sustained by his life-giving power. When he sees a weakness in his character, it is not enough to confess it again and again. He must go to work with determination and energy to overcome his defects by what? by building up opposite traits of character. Praise God. You see it? Put off the old, put on the new. He will not shun this work because it's difficult. Untiring energy is required of the Christian, but he is not obliged to work in his own strength. Divine power awaits his demand. Anybody say amen? It may cost a severe conflict to overcome habits which have been long indulged, but we may triumph through the grace of Christ. Praise God. Getting the picture? Everybody got it. Ongoing process, not an instantaneous event. Very seldom. Make sense? Okay. Call of the day. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioty and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Make not 
present tense, ongoing process. What does it mean? I love this. Entire surrender of your ways, which seems so very wise, and taking Christ's ways is the secret of perfect rest in his love. It is by learning the what? It is by learning the habits of Christ, his meekness, his lowliness. Thank you, thank you, sister, for bringing up the humility and faith thing. His meekness and his lowliness, that self becomes transformed. There is no one who has not much to learn. Praise God. The habits of Christ, isn't that good? I'm going to buzz through this quick. Put off the old, put on the new. Put away lying, that's the old. Speak every man the truth, that's putting on the new. Proactive replacement. True, godly repentance will always include a proactive, that means forward, onward, ever forward, replacement of the old habit, the old way of thinking and responding with the new Christ-like way of thinking and responding. Old habits, stealing. New habit, labor working with his hands. Honest work to learn to help others. Um, I just want to make a comment now. In the years that Patsy and I have worked with hurting people, we've discovered something. Most of them quit too soon. They've got the keys. They know exactly what God says about their condition, their needs. And they'll practice it, and they'll experience victory for a day, a week, or whatever. But then something waylays them, something happens that bothers or worries them or, or stresses them out and they forget to keep practicing. And so they get railroaded. Don't quit. Once you know what God's will is concerning that part of your life, you keep practicing it regardless of feelings, regardless of circumstances, you keep practicing it. And notice what Christ does for us in our determined efforts to cooperate with the Holy Spirit of grace and replace an old ungodly habit of thinking with a new Christ-like one. I love this. Look at this. When it's in the heart to obey God, when efforts are put forth to this end, Jesus accepts this disposition and effort as man's best service. Put your name there. Whose best service? Your best service and he makes up for the deficiency with his own divine merit. It is not how far you've advanced, how many habits of Christ that you've formed. It has nothing to do with that. Are you willing to stay in the process of practicing the mind of Christ? Selected Messages, Volume 1, 337. We are to grow daily in spiritual loveliness. We shall fail often in our efforts to copy the divine pattern. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. Count on it, brothers and sisters, as you get into this growth process. Count on it. There will be times when you will just fall, at the, fall on your face and just weep. Oh, God, again? Oh, please have mercy on me. Watch this. But we are not to be discouraged. 
We are to pray more fervently, believe more fully, and try again with more steadfastness to grow into the likeness of our Lord. And the Nero research tells us very clearly that when you fall back into an old habit pattern, it doesn't, you don't lose the advancement, the development in your nervous system that you were developing by practicing the new habit. Are you following? And the devil comes, this is what he generally does. He said, see, you blew it. You're never going to be the same. You're going to have to start over. It's a lie. Reality is you, you don't lose what you've gained. It's just waiting there for you to go right back to the habit that you're trying to form, right back to practicing what you don't know to be Christ's will for your life. Does that make sense? Say amen if you understand that. Steps to Christ. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus. Parallel passage. But we're not to be discouraged even if we're overcome by the enemy. We're not cast off. We're not forsaken and rejected of God. Amen. Praise God. Amen. No, Christ is at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Said the beloved John, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I like this, don't you? Look at this. Isn't this so awesome? The Father himself loves you. I've heard people say uh, when we were working with them, you know, Jesus I can follow and trust, but you know, uh, what an awesome thing to know that God the Father loves you. And if you but yield yourself to him, over and over and over again, he that hath begun a good work in you will carry it forward to the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, someone says, you're, you're preaching cheap to grace, Dan. Well, um, question. When someone is truly repentant, how much desire do they have to go back and do the old thing that they used to do? Zero desire. Any of you here have a desire to continue saying or doing something that's against the healing will and ways of the one who is willing to give his life up for you? I hope you all can say no way. Um, this is what I've experienced. It's quite possible there will be moments when I'm surprised or overcome into falling back to my old way of thinking about and responding to a situation that's worried me, right? Bible commentary. If through manifold temptations we are surprised or deceived into sin, he does not turn from us and leave us to perish. No, that is not our Savior. Christ prayed for us. He was tempted in all points like as we are. And having been tempted, he knows how to succor, knows, to help, knows how to help those who are tempted. Thank you, Lord. I'm grateful for that. I needed to see this. If it happens where you're tricked or surprised, if you're trapped, fall back into an old habit of responding. The moment you become aware of your fall, um, excuse the typo, that's where Dan's at. Go to God for forgiveness. Go right back to practicing the new healing Christ-like thoughts and responses over and over until they become the new habit of response in that area of your life. Is that clear to everybody? Okay. I think we're almost done. Almost, but not quite. Philippians 2.5, the, the Greek verb let there is present tense. This means continue to let the mind of Christ. Continue. To have the mind of Christ, you've got to have his thoughts. This is God's ideal for us.
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. 1 John 2, 5 and 6, But whoso keepeth, present tense, his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Um, I should mention something about the perfect tense. Perfect tense is unique in the Greek because it has three actions involved, three actions involved. Perfect tense in the Greek, when you see that, God, the love of God perfected, it means it's a action, is something that's happening. It's an ongoing process. And God looks at it as already finished. Can I say it again? Are you getting it? Perfect tense. It's, it's happening in the present. It's an ongoing process. But God looks at it as already completed. When you are in the process of taking on, putting off the old habits and taking on the habits of Christ. And you're in that process doing the best you can with a willing mind. It's not only accepted of God, but God looks at you as already the process is done. It's finished. The love of God, is, his character is perfected in your life, even though you're just in the process yet. And do I have any desire to knowingly choose to continue in sin? No, none whatsoever. So, great news. I love it. You've heard it before. Here it is again. Once the new Christ-like habit in, re in response to any specific temptation is formed, that part of your life is guarded by the new Christ-like habit. Because the moment the trigger comes... That the moment that stimulus that stimulated you to fall back into sin, the moment that comes when you've got the new Christ-like habit in place, you've been practicing it, the moment the trigger comes, immediately what habit takes over? The new habit, the new Christ-like response. The enemy has lost his power in that part of your life. And habit by habit, practice, practice, practice. Guess who's being formed within? Christ. Galatians 4.19. Okay. Everybody want to stand up? I'm looking at the time we've got. I've got about five more minutes, but it's probably the most important five minutes. Stand up and stretch a little bit if you'd like. Take a stretch. Tippy, tip on your tippy toes if you want to. We do this. Rotate your arms. Forward and backward. Put your hand up behind your head. This is not a hold up. This is just a stretch. Feel the stretch across the top of your chest. Then give yourself a tight hug and feel the stretch between your shoulder blades. These hugs are awesome. Just imagine yourself being hugged by the one who loves you more than anything else in the world. Everybody's okay yet? We're almost done. And there might, there, there probably will be some room for some questions, if there are questions. Okay, I want to take you deeper now. In understanding the repentance of Christ that eternally delivers a person from the bondage of sin and makes it possible 
makes possible complete healing of heart. This, I believe, is just so vital. I believe Jesus is calling his followers to experience the same unique type of repentance for sin that he experienced while he was here on earth. What? Yep. I call it repentance before sin that transforms the repentance for sin. Wait a minute. Ho, 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 ho. Jesus never sinned, so where are you getting the idea he experienced repentance? Well, listen close. Here's a question. If Jesus didn't experience repentance, and repentance is a part of God's plan of salvation from sin, how could he be our perfect example of the salvation he wants us to have? But he is our perfect example, amen? In how many aspects? In everything. Matthew 3, remember when he was baptized? John the Baptist said, listen, I, I need to be baptized by you. What is this, me baptizing you? And Jesus said, Jesus answering said unto him, thus it becometh us to fulfill how much righteousness? Then he suffered him. John baptized him. Praise God. Christ our example, there it is again, that you should follow his steps. I got a pointer on here. I think so. Where is it? There it is. Look at that. Sorry I haven't been using it. Isn't that fun? Don't mind me. I'm just moving into my second childhood. 1 John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Christ is our example. In how many things? All things, including repentance, in heavenly places. When Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, he was led by the Spirit of God. He had taken the steps which every sinner must take in conversion, repentance, what? Yep, repentance and baptism. He himself had no sins of which to repent, therefore he had no sins to wash away. But he was our example in how many things? And therefore he must do that which he would have us do. Youth instructor, again, he, Jesus, identifies himself with sinners as their substitute, taking upon himself their sins, numbering himself with transgressors, and doing the work the sinner is required to do in what? In repentance, faith, and willing obedience. What an example is here given in the life of Christ for sinners to imitate. And I say, amen. But Jesus never sinned. So how in the world did he experience repentance? Matthew 3.11 says that John the Baptist was administering the baptism of repentance. If Jesus hadn't repented, his baptism would have been bogus. True or false? I know you're all thinking by now. I hope so. Praise God. It's true. Jesus never sinned, so he never had to repent for sins he had personally committed. And yes, he did repent for us, but listen close now. 
as the perfect model for our experience, Jesus chose to experience the highest repentance there is. Not repentance for sin, but repentance before sin. Remember, what do I mean by before sin? Hebrews 4. For we have not a high priest, talking about Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in, how many points, everyone? All points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So where does temptation happen? That's where it happens, amen? The moment a temptation to sin entered Christ's thoughts, Jesus turned his thoughts away from the temptation and placed them on God's thoughts concerning the tempting idea the devil had placed before him. Are you following? You can read it in Matthew chapter 4. The devil tempted him, if you're really hungry, command these stones to be made bread. What came out of Christ's mouth? It is written, man shall not live by bread only, but by the, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How come it came out of his mouth? Because that's what he was thinking. He gave that idea, that tempting idea, zero time in his thinking. Immediately his response in his thinking was, man shall not live by bread alone. He turned his thoughts away from the temptation, placed them on God's thoughts concerning the tempting idea the devil placed before him. Remember the definition for repentance. I gave it to you at the beginning. To think differently. To change the train of thought. So what Jesus actually was doing, the repentance he experienced, he chose to re experience a repentance before sin. A change in thoughts before he could sin. a repentance that happened before he could sin. Guess what he's calling us to? Praise God! By the power of his grace, through faith in his word and determined proactive practice, you and I can experience the same kind of victorious healing repentance. The repentance of Jesus, choosing to change our thoughts the moment we are tempted, like Jesus, to think God's thoughts before we sin. Turning repentance for sin into Christ's repentance, repentance before sin. I believe it's the call of God. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's the battle. 2 Corinthians 10.3 and 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds. Where are the strongholds at? Casting down imaginations 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity how many thoughts? The before, like Jesus, that replaces the for, like humanity. Is there anybody that can't read that? Raise your hand. So I'm happy to read it out loud, but okay. Thank you very, very much. By the determined, proactive, and consistent practice of choosing to bring our thoughts by the grace of God into captivity to Christ's thoughts concerning the situations we daily face by faith, practicing over and over again until it becomes our own personal habit of thought. This is what ultimately will ultimately transform our repentance for sin to habitual repentance before sin, just like Jesus. Just like who? I like the idea of being like Jesus. How about you? Amen. Ministry of healing. As Jesus was in human nature, so God means his followers to be. In his strength, we are to live the life of purity and nobility which the Savior lived. How does this transformation happen? There it is again. You've seen it before. It is by learning the habits of Christ, his meekness, his lowliness, that self becomes transformed by taking Christ's yoke upon you and then submitting to learn. Manuscript Releases, Volume 12, page 230. And all along this healing journey of cooperating with the Holy Spirit in faithfully training our thoughts, bringing them into habitual captivity to Christ, we have this precious assurance. My life today, when it is in the heart to obey God, when efforts are put forth to this end, Jesus accepts this disposition and effort as man's best service, and he makes up for the deficiency with his own divine merit. My Life Today, page 250. Christ looks at the Spirit, and when he sees us carrying our burden with faith, his perfect holiness atones for our shortcomings. When we do our best, he becomes our righteousness. Praise God. Faith and Works, page 102. And there it is. Paul's counsel to the Corinthian church, Paul's counsel to the, this awesome last day movement. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. Whatever you said you were going to do for the Lord, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance out of what, everyone? Performance out of what you have, not what you don't have. Do the best you can with what you got. For if there first be a willing mind, it's accepted according to, the man to that a man has, not according to what he has not. I'm, I'm going to stop there. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.